You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This is the Marketing Podcast Network. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to author Lindsay Cameron. Lindsay worked as a corporate lawyer for many years in Vancouver, New York City, before leaving the law behind to write books. Her first novel, Big Law, was published in 2015, and she joins me today on Uncorking a Story to chat about her latest book, No One Needs to Know. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here, Lindsay, and I'm uh, curious to know, where does your story as an author begin? Well, growing up, I always loved writing. I was always writing poems and short stories, but it wasn't something that I thought I could make a career out of. And so I did what a lot of people who like writing do. I went to law school um, and I was practicing law in New York. And I did that for a number of years. And it was really like I enjoyed it, but I knew it was something that I didn't want to be doing long term. But I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to pivot to be doing. Um, and then one night I was sitting in my office. It was very late. It was, it was like, we're talking like midnight. Um, and I just started to really think that the, the practice of law in reality is so different than what it is in the movies and books, which portrayed as so glamorous. And I was sitting there thinking, it's such a stark difference. Somebody should really write a book about it. And I kind of had this like, aha moment that I wanted to write a book at it about it. And so I grabbed a notebook. I like probably like in a overtired fit was crazed fit was um scratched down a bunch of notes in a notebook, just like things that I my observations at the firm and like experience I'd experiences I'd had. And I continued to write in that notebook while working um probably for about the next year. And then it sort of hit me that if I didn't leave law and, and try to write this book now, I was probably never going to do it. And so I left my job and um, used that notebook to write my first novel, which was Big Law. Uh, and I'm on my third novel now and haven't gone back to law. You know, it's so interesting. I've talked to so many lawyers on this program who have done exactly what you've done, or they're trying to do what you've done, which is make a living doing something other than law. Yeah. And I always like to dig into, you know, what is that overlap between, and you mentioned it yourself, you know, a lot of people who are good at writing, they go into law. What is that overlap between being a writer, being a storyteller, and, and being an attorney? 
I mean, I think it's like a certain personality type where you, um, you are creative and love writing, but you're also type A and practical. And so, um, the practice of law does have a lot of writing. It doesn't turn out to be creative writing, um, but it has a lot of drafting. Uh, I think the type A personality thinks like, oh, I couldn't do the writing thing. I need like, um, you know, the, the job that is paying. And uh, so I, I think it just has to do with that. You have those two elements. You have a creative writing side, but you also have that type A personality that um, is is just driven towards that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know also like with trial attorneys, there is a story of a case that you have to present, you know, and so you are kind of tapping into a little bit of storytelling when you're when you're doing that. Um, were you a trial attorney or were you? Uh, no, I was corporate law, which there is like there's no story there. You're drafting <laughs> contracts. Um, I, I often get asked if like my skills as a corporate attorney who could translate into writing fiction. And that is like, no. In fact, I had to kind of remove a lot of those skills because when you're drafting um, a contract, you, you don't want to leave any room for ambiguity. So you say the same thing in different ways, 10 different times in that contract. And in early drafts, I was really like lawyering it up, you know, like it's really over explaining my story to the point where there would be no ambiguity. The reader gets it, you know, but that's not very entertaining. And so, um, yeah, those skills that I had as a lawyer that were drummed into me as a lawyer, I had to remove from myself when yeah. I started to write fiction. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people find that as well, uh, especially if you come out of academia too. You know, the type of writing you're doing in academia is so different than, you know, writing, you know, what you have to do to write a novel. Um, but it keeps editors employed, which is a good thing. It's a good thing. I want to go back in time and and just role play for a second or just or tell me how a certain conversation went down. So you're a lawyer, you're in New York City, uh, it's very uh, lucrative career. You know, it, it leads to good things. And then mm -hmm. you tell somebody in your life, you know what, I'm going to just stop doing this. I'm going to write a novel, which I've never done before. <laughs> Probably, um, I don't know if you're thinking that novelists make a lot of money. I have firsthand knowledge that um, it's very difficult to make a living on, yeah. on advances and royalties. But what was that conversation like? I mean, who did you talk to first about this big life decision that that you've made? Probably my husband. I talked to about it. Um, and I was doing corporate law uh, kind of pre-market crash. And so it was it was incredibly busy. Like when I say that I was at the office at midnight, that was a very common thing. Um, like midnight one sometimes all night if it was right if it was um right before the signing or closing of a deal so like the hours were long it was very grueling um and so when i was talking to my husband about leaving he was very supportive i mean i think he had no idea whether i could actually write both <laughs> because i had never done it but he was supportive of me leaving that life behind just because it was so grueling um, so I, I talked to him about it, but honestly, I didn't tell a lot of people what I was leaving to do. Like I didn't tell the like when I resigned from my firm, I, I just said that I was just leaving the law 
um, really it was like my husband and my close family who knew what I was, that I was going to write a book. I, I think I just was, wasn't sure it was something I was ever going to get published, but it just was something that I felt like I needed to do. I didn't really want people always saying, how's the book going every time you see them? Because I wasn't exactly sure how it was going to go. So I was very private about it in terms of like, you know, even close friends didn't know. And I remember um, when I when I got an agent with the first book, I told a friend um, I've been writing this book. And she was like, that's why I always see you in Starbucks with a laptop. <laughs> Nobody really knew. So it was just something that that I just wasn't sure was ever going to um, ever going to be seen to completion. I wasn't exactly um confident about it but uh, uh i'm glad that it was yeah how long did it take you to get to or get through the first draft the first draft was probably about two years because uh soon after i left um i had a baby <laughs> and so i i i wrote while i was pregnant mm -hmm. and then basically shelved it for about six months when i had a baby just because that sort of survival mode with a new infant. Um, and then I was able to write during his naps and stuff. So it was probably over the course of two years. Okay. I mean, kids really do cramp your style like that, they right? Really I mean, do. it. it <laughs> I had three kids it, at 20. up your writing time, I can tell you that. I was trying to sleep when babies slept rather than write. Yeah, again, I, you have to adjust your schedule to theirs. I know mm -hmm. that. Uh, I know that well. Yeah. Um. And then, so then going through the publishing process, finding an agent, um, how, how did you find, um, how did you go about doing that? Well, actually, one of the first friends I told that I was writing this book um, was a woman who I had worked with at my firm, and she had a literary agent. She actually um, uh, was doing cookbooks. And so I said to her, I've written this novel, um, and she was very excited about it. Uh, given given the content was it, it's a little bit like a devil wears Prada in a law firm um and she she said I would like to send it to my agent which I was excited to sort of get feedback from an agent I thought well this will be a great first step um and then she sent it to her agents and that agent really loved it and then offered me representation so um I had a very a very quick introductory to the finding an agent process. And I, I just turned out to be very lucky. You didn't have to go through that humbling process of querying 100 agents and receiving 100 rejections, huh? No, no. But, you know, <laughs> there, there's rejection along the way in a lot of other ways. So I definitely, as a writer, have experienced rejection. Of course, of course. Yeah, it comes with the territory. Um, you yeah. Know, rejection. Uh, I, I like to uh, well, one of the lessons I've learned just by talking to so many authors and, and writing my own stuff is, you know, if, if you don't have a thick skin, if you can't handle rejection, if you can't handle some criticism, this is not the right business for you. Absolutely. Like there's re there's rejection along the way. And then, you know, when it's published, if you ever dare go on Goodreads, there's definitely going to be somebody <laughs> who has you know a major problem with your book. Um, so a thick skin is it's a requirement. Yeah, you know, I would love to know like who these people are, like who they really are. Are they real people, and what are their real motivations? Are they really trying to help I mean, other people, you know, guide towards something to read, or are they just trying to take out their own personal frustrations, shortcomings on somebody they don't even know? You know, some. I mean, there there's certainly people with you know 
positive motivation of helping people find books that they like. And then there are some times where I'm just like, especially the ones that start with, um, I never read this genre and I hated this book or whatever. And you're like, but you don't like the genre. Why would you like a book in that genre if you don't read it? Exactly. Oh, people, you know, what can you do? (laughs) What can you do? Well, let's talk about No One Needs to Know. What can you share with us about that book? Well, No One Needs to Know is my second suspense novel, and uh, it's set on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And the residents there all love to use this anonymous neighborhood forum called Urban Myth. And Urban Myth is a place where they can go to um, talk anonymously about neighborhood gossip. They can unburden their conscience and confess something they've always wanted to confess. They can you know, tell a secret they've always wanted to tell. And they can do this because all of their posts are anonymous. But when Urban Myth is hacked and the true identity of the people behind the post is made public, the neighborhood is really rocked and some people will do anything to keep their secrets hidden. Interesting. How did you come up with this idea of Urban Myth? It sounds like it's something that could exist. Well, and kind of did. I came up with this idea. uh, I was actually working on my first book when, when the initial like kind of spark of an idea came uh, I was a new mom and I went to one of these neighborhood um, new parent meetups. And one of the other parents there had said, have you heard about this anonymous forum for new parents? And she said, it's highly entertaining. And I was so curious because I could not imagine what would be entertaining about like, you know, something like that. So I went and I created an account and I was expecting to see, um, you know, parents kind of crowdsourcing a, an issue that they were too embarrassed to talk about with their with their peers. And there was some of that. But what there was so much more of was people who were using this forum to unburden their conscience, you know, to like um, just confess something they really were wanting to talk about, you know, neighborhood coaches or, or affairs that people were having. Like, it was just fascinating to me. And I couldn't, I I started to wonder about the people behind the posts. And I also just couldn't believe that they were so trusting of this forum. And then fast forward a few years and there was the infamous Ashley Madison hack. Where the personal information of people who had gone on to find extramarital affairs was made public. And there was a lot of talk in the media about that these people had trusted um, this site to keep their information private. And I just thought back to that that anonymous forum that I had been reading. And I thought, gosh, what if that was hacked and the people's the real identity of those people like uh, was made public? And so that was the original um, sort of aha moment with an idea. But it was it wasn't until years later that I actually started writing it. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's a fascinating idea. But what I love is taking this real life thing, right? And then just being curious about it, marrying it with this, you know, Ashley Madison data breach and and kind of seeing where that where that takes you. Um it's uh, I think authors have that as a superpower. You know, their curiosity is a superpower. You know, not not all heroes wear capes is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Well, I am a very curious person and I often you know, there can be sort of 50 book ideas going on in my mind at the same time. And it's usually the ones that are lingering two years, four years later that I'm like, okay, like I need, I want to explore that in a book. 
Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of water that, plant that seed, water it, let it grow. Mm -hmm. And you could always come back to it. Um, yeah. You know, because if you try and, and chase down every idea you have, you're you're not going to have any time to sleep. No, that's <laughs> true. If you have to like, they've got to like percolate in there for, at least for me, they have to percolate. I'm so impressed with authors who like come up with an idea, start writing right away. That's not me. They percolate in the back of my mind for years and sort of like, almost are like asking me to write about them, you know? Yeah. yeah. One of the things you mentioned before was, you know, wanting to write about the law or a law firm um, from a point of view that's a little bit more authentic than maybe what's portrayed on TV. What, um, you know, how, how, did, how did you find doing that? I mean, did you out any big secrets about working in law firms or <laughs> what, <laughs> what was that well, exploration I mean, I... like? You know, I tried not to make anything too recognizable in terms of like specific people or anything. They were mostly like a compilation of people I had um, encountered. But I realized like when I was working and talking to other people at other firms, especially in New York, but really in, in other cities as well, is that the experience at these large law firms is the same, like at all of these places, um, you know, the grueling hours, the toxic personalities that come with that, we were all experiencing the same thing. Um, and so I, I knew that it wasn't going to be a situation where this was only my experience and people couldn't relate or see like that, that it happened to them as well, that it was a, a book that was going to be talking about that this is the experience kind of across the board. And in terms of, we, we talk about, I mentioned Goodreads before, I had gone on to Goodreads after that book came out. And there was a lot of people who were like, oh my gosh, this was exactly my experience too. This person has to have worked at one of these firms. So um, I like to think that I gave the other side of it, like the non-glamorous, um, just more real life side of it. Yeah, my, my twin brother is a lawyer, he's a corporate lawyer. Um, and he, you know, uh, he had a very hard time at one point in time in his career dealing with like being bullied by somebody in the firm. Yeah. And, um, you know, it 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 caused him to leave. You know, he left. He wound up leaving that firm. Yeah. Join a, another one, which seems to be a little bit more humane in its approach to uh, human resources and people. Well, that's you can definitely find the humane ones. Uh, they tend not to be the larger firms yeah. from from my experience. And I, I don't know what it is about, maybe it's like the hours and the lack of sleep. I don't know what it is about the industry that does attract just certain toxic personalities. I, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that there would be a bullying situation in a law firm. There is just, um, you know, big egos at play and that 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 happens. Yeah. Well, one way I like to get to know my guests a little bit more is by asking a couple of pop culture questions. So I'm curious, when you were growing up, thinking about your childhood, what were some of your favorite things to watch on TV? Oh, gosh. Uh, this is maybe going to age me, these questions. <laughs> <laughs> but let's see. I loved Family Ties. I loved Who's the Boss? Um, oh, yeah, those are that's right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, I'm Gen. I'm fully Gen X. Um, those are probably my two favorites. So I also like Cheers. I still like to watch like repeats of Cheers. Sure. Cheers um, holds up. I mean, that, that show really does hold up. up. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I agree. I love Family Ties too. That was a such a great show. And the juxtaposition of like the hippie parents and the conservative son. I mean, yes. to me, that was just like just a brilliant idea. Yeah, brilliant yes, idea. loved that one. Um, what about like law? I mean, there were so many TV shows about the legal profession. Was there mm-hmm. anyone that you felt you were either A, drawn to for whatever reason, or B, really nailed what what it's like to to be in a law firm? You know, I don't have a good answer for that, only because I avoid law shows. Like, it, it, I even still do today, because I do find that I can be so critical of them. Like, it, you know, just in terms of that doesn't happen. You know, like the first year associate who's suddenly like sitting down with the the biggest client the firm has. I'm like, that would never happen. The first year associate would be there like taking the notes and the partner would be in there or they're running a trial. So I I tend to stay away from those shows. Maybe there is one that has somehow found an authenticity, but I haven't I haven't watched it because, I mean, I I just can't do law shows. Fair enough. I have my neighbor across the street is a detective in uh, in Greenwich, Connecticut. And, you know, we'll, we'll watch like a, a cop show and he'll just be like, this this doesn't happen. Yeah. He's like, you don't get DNA back in like two hours. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Old cheeks no, off. I know. And it can like ruin the show for you. And, and the thing is, I mean, as a fiction writer, I do understand there is some suspending disbelief that you are either watching or reading fiction. But sometimes with those law shows, it, I just can't suspend it that much. I'm like, no, it wouldn't happen. Right. My husband's a lawyer, too. And so we'll just sort of sit there and be like, that's not that's not the way it is. And then it's just not enjoyable. Right. We just can't watch those shows. Right. What about music? What did you like listening to growing up? Oh my gosh. Uh, now I'm sort of blanking on that. Uh, it was definitely like top 40 at the time. Well, Madonna would have been a big one for me at the time. Um all that kind of 80s top 40 hits. Sure. Maybe a little Cindy Lauper in there. Cindy Lauper, definitely Cindy Lauper. I loved her. Um, and then uh, my my brother listened to a lot of like the hair metal bands. And so that would be playing at our house too. Well, there you go. Nothing wrong with little Def Leppard Motley Crew. Yes, poison. exactly. I've seen them all. Yeah. <laughs> Have you um, really? I have, yeah. Actually, well, no, I haven't seen Motley Crue. I've seen Def Leppard and Poison. Yeah, um, that would both of those would have been playing at my house. How about um, things you've learned about yourself? You know, having sort of left the legal profession behind, becoming a writer. I know it's a very introspective. You know, it's it is a career that requires some introspection. What have you learned about yourself um, as as you've started writing and and have have had a blooming uh, literary career? I mean, in terms of, of my work style, I realize I work better with deadlines. Like when I first, when I first left to write, um, and, I, and I did have a baby during that time, but I was just sort of very loose, like in terms of writing was like a hobby. Like I didn't carve out the time for it. It was like, if there was time in the day for it, then I would do it. And if there wasn't, then I wouldn't. And um, that would take quite a long time. And with my next book, um, I had to like institute some deadlines. I am just a person who like, you know, given free reign, will just 
just ignore the work that I need to do. So I, I realized in terms of my work style that I am a person um, who needs to give myself some deadlines. And I also learned it's very hard to, um, like your, your career is very much your part of your identity. And it's very hard to shift um, your identity when you've shifted your career. For a long time, like at a cocktail party, someone would say, well, what do you do? Um, I would say, well, I used to be a lawyer, but now, now I write books. And it's only probably in the last year that I've dropped that I used to be a lawyer. Like now I'm just like, oh, I'm a writer. And um, that was a big identity shift for me. Sure. I can imagine. I can imagine. And and just to wrap up, if you could, uh, I like to call this question, Dear Younger Me, if you could write a letter to your younger self, what are some of the things you might tell the younger Lindsay? I would probably tell her uh, to go into writing earlier. Part of me wishes that I had started quite a bit earlier and just trusted that I I did have a passion for it. I did like it. And it was something that I could pursue and didn't have to worry about um, whether or not I could be a success in it. Like I, it's something that I wish that I'd pursued earlier. And I am glad that I did it later in life. But if I could tell younger Lindsay, it would be um, just to trust that passion and pursue it earlier. There you go. Well, we've been talking to uh, Lindsay Cameron. Lindsay's uh, latest book is No One Needs to Know, her second thriller, if I remember that correctly from earlier in our conversation. It is available wherever books are sold. Uh, Lindsay, if people want to get in touch with you on social media, do you have uh, any social media that you're active on? You want to share some handles with us? I do. Um, my uh, Instagram is Lindsay Cameron Author, and then my uh, Twitter is Lindsay J. Cameron. There you go. All right. I'll be sure to put those in the show notes along with a link to the book so people can easily pick it up right from uh, the show notes. Lindsay, thank you so much for stopping by Uncorking a Story and letting me uncork yours. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.